Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. If you suffer from systemic pain, soreness, and fatigue, and you haven't been able to find out what is happening to you, then you definitely want to listen to this episode. Oftentimes, it takes years to reach a conclusive diagnosis for different conditions, and in those years, your condition can worsen quite a bit. If you find a practitioner that knows what to look for, then you can catch signs of these conditions early on, which will give you the best chance to keep it under control. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help people move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And one of the conditions we'll be talking about today is called fibromyalgia. Dr. Roger Murphy specializes in fibro and other complex cases, so he knows exactly what to look for to help people out. He is actually hosting an online summit starting on Monday, September 28th, all about fibro, which he will have a few dozen practitioners on the summit to speak. It will last about a week, and each day new interviews are released. So to learn more, go to summitforwellness.com slash fibro summit. And before we chat with Dr. Roger, I am looking at running a, a 100 squat challenge during the month of October to help people build leg strength and endurance and lower chances of injury for the upcoming winter ski and snowboard season. This would be a donation-based challenge, and you can choose how much to donate, and all profits will go to Northwest Avalanche Center, who help provide avalanche education and daily avalanche forecasts for the Northwest. With so many unknowns with the upcoming ski season, I think a lot of people will be heading into the backcountry, which is why I want to support NWAC to help spread avalanche awareness. If I get enough people interested, then we will have 31 days of squats in 31 different positions. So if you want to do the challenge, go to summitforwellness.com slash squat challenge to sign up. You can register for as little as free or donate whatever amount you want. Okay, enough chit chat. Let's dive into my conversation with Roger. Dr. Roger Murphy has a medical clinic in Birmingham, Alabama, where he focuses on fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, cardiovascular disease, mood disorders, and other difficult-to-treat illnesses. He is also a lecturer, author, and will be hosting a fibromyalgia summit that begins on September 28th. Thank you for coming on to the show, Roger. Oh, Brian, this is uh, this is going to be fun, really. Thanks for having me. Of course, and I'm excited to talk to you about such a you know, important topic with fibro. But before we get into that, let's dive into your background and learn a little bit more about you. Well, so Brian, I'm a board certified chiropractic physician, board certified nutritional specialist. I've been in private practice 29 years. And every, every time I say that, I think, oh my gosh, has it been that long? Uh, but the last 20 years, the last two decades, I've specialized in fibromyalgia. And I've written a few different books, but my book, uh, Treating and Beating Fibromyalgia Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, is now in its fifth edition. The sixth edition will come out in November. And, um, I, you know, I started out as your typical chiropractor. I had a real busy chiropractic practice in doing hands-on um, treatments for patients with migraines and low back pain and neck pain. And, and I got interested in functional medicine early on and started taking all those courses really before we had a name for it. It was just called nutrition. Um, Jeffrey Bland, the father of functional medicine, 
And um, that just grew. You know, I started getting medical misfits that were referred to me here in Birmingham, Alabama. They kind of, that, you know, kind of been everywhere and weren't getting help by the traditional medical uh, community here. And one day I had a patient that came to me that had fibromyalgia. This was 20 years ago. I didn't know what fiber, you know, what was fibromyalgia? I hadn't even pronounced the thing. And um, I just started working with her. And, and all I did was the stuff I was doing for my other patients. Um, my practice had gone from, you know, 80 patients a day down to about 20 or 30 because I was just doing functional medicine. And and um, I just I changed her diet. I did some testing. And, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in two months, she was well. And, and I, you know, I naively thought, well, if that's fibromyalgia, okay, that's what, you know, come on, bring them on. And, and I quickly learned, uh, you know, that they're not that easy. And, and I, I got flooded with new patients because no one really knew anything about fibro. And, you know, I had a decision to make. I could either, I could either just say, I don't want to take care of these complicated patients, or I could try to do everything I could to learn what made them tick. And that's what's fueled me for the last uh, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you talk about uh, people with difficult um, uh, chronic states that they're in because, you know, these people, they've tried a lot of different things before they come to you. And so if you can make a difference, you've just completely changed their entire world. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. So uh, let's dive more into fibro. What is fibro? Well, so there's a lot of misunderstanding about fibromyalgia. You know, unfortunately, there's still some doctors that don't believe fibromyalgia exists. But fibromyalgia is a syndrome. It's a group of symptoms that people have, and we give it a name. So it's, a, you know, these common symptoms are diffuse achy, sometimes disabling pain, low, uh, low energy, brain fog, restless leg syndrome, irritable bowel, sometimes anxiety, depression. And then there can be some other things that come underneath that. As you can, you can tell, it's a, it's a, um, a syndrome made up of these diffuse type of symptoms, and we give it that name. It affects mostly women, so 98% of the people that have it are women, and there's about 10 million people worldwide that have fibromyalgia, or 10, 10 million people probably in the U.S., 8, 8 million or so in the U.S., and um, typically females between the age of 36 and 70, and it, it is a, it's an illness that, as I mentioned, is really not very well understood. And so they typically fall through the medical cracks because doctors really don't know what to do with them. Hmm. So do you have any ideas or theories on why it's mostly women that deal with it? Well, it's a great question and one that I've really been trying to tackle for 20 years. I think, you know, obviously the first thing you think about is hormones, right? Estrogen, mm -hmm. progesterone in particular. I think there's some role that estrogen and progesterone play with the uh, the brain neuro uh, the, the brain neurohormone uh, serotonin. So serotonin is the happy hormone, and individuals with fibromyalgia are low in serotonin. That's I mean that's the thing that makes it fibromyalgia, and women tend to be uh, more likely to be low in serotonin. Men tend to be more likely in norepinephrine. Now that's a that's not to be sexist or, you know, that's, that's kind of a sweeping statement. But from just doing this for so long, I wrote a book uh, years ago, Treating and Beating Anxiety and Depression with Orthomolecular Medicine. And uh, for a period of time, I worked with a lot of anxiety and depression patients. And what I found, Brian, was that men typically, they had problems with the stimulating hormone, norepinephrine. Women had a problem with low serotonin. And, and so I think that there's some role 
with estrogen dominance that really drives that serotonin level down. And when that happens, that's when fibromyalgia starts to rear its ugly head. Interesting. So do you think environmental impact and um, all these uh, different types of estrogens that's in the environment can also impact that for women as well? You know, I'm not sure because I still haven't, and we're not, there's not a, anything that is definitive about that theory. The other people have had that theory as well and have looked at it. But certainly these uh, exogenous uh, estrogen polymers that are out there that sabotage, you know, women cause them have endometriosis and fibrotumors and those, those things that are out there. I think they certainly could play a role. You know, the thing that really gets individuals with fibromyalgia, what brings it on is stress. And I got to be careful uh, that when I say that, because a lot of times if I don't explain that a little further, people think, oh, those fibromyalgia patients are a bunch of wimps. But they're not, you know, because you and I would agree as functional medicine practitioners, you know, probably 90% of people we take care of, it's stress that brings on their condition, whether that's short-term stress or years of stress, eventually their body breaks down. So with fibromyalgia, it's, you know, it's stress that has finally uh, cause their self-healing, self-regulating systems to go haywire, to break down. They, they, they've blown a fuse, you know. Um, their hypothalamus pituitary adrenals, their self-regulating autonomic uh, nervous system glands that regulate everything, it gets under too much stress. And then one day there's a straw that comes on, uh, a straw that comes on that breaks the camel's back. And that could be, that could be a hysterectomy, you know, it could be a surgery. That could be death of a loved one. It could be a trauma, an auto accident. Um, it could be, you know, something that comes along and then they're just never the same. So if someone does have fibro and, you know, they treat it, they get, uh, they feel a lot better then pretty much any type of big stressful uh, uh, type of event could trigger it again. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with fibro is it's a lot of doom and gloom out there, unfortunately, because the medical profession has pretty much given up on fibro because mm -hmm. conventional medicine is a dead end. And that's not to bad mouth conventional medicine. It's just you can't drug your way out of fibromyalgia. You know, as, as you mentioned, as I just mentioned, there's just so many symptoms. You know, they can't sleep. So they have insomnia. They're exhausted. They have this chronic pain. They have uh, irritable bowel, bloating gas, indigestion. Uh, sometimes they have SIBO and they have all these symptoms. And so in the conventional medical world, as you know, it's all about treating symptoms. And there's certainly a place for that, you know, but for this community, if you're treating, you know, if you're, you're giving a drug for every symptom, before you know it, they're on half a dozen to a dozen drugs, you know, a drug to put them to sleep, a drug to wake them up, a drug to, to, to speed them up, a drug to slow them down. And, you know, they get on that medical merry-go-round and pretty soon what happens is the drugs are creating more side effects and more symptoms that you can't even separate. Is it fibromyalgia or is it the side effects? And they get into that into that challenge pretty quickly. It's interesting because uh, we know that a lot of different medications can impact gut health um, and influence the microbiome. And if people are taking a lot of different um, medications and we don't really know their interaction with the microbiome, then it could cause some pretty severe imbalances. And we also know that a lot of serotonin is uh, created in the gut. So yeah. are you looking at gut health for fibro patients? Absolutely. And then, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then... Um, what, what type of stuff are you doing for the gut in that case? Yeah, so let me make sure I, I don't neglect your, your question just a moment ago. 
Um, here's the thing about fibro. So the doom and gloom is, is once you get it, you have it forever. You just have to learn to live with it. Now, I don't believe, and I'm sure you don't either, that anybody should learn to live with chronic pain, no energy, irritable bowel, where they don't know whether, you know, they can leave the house. Uh, you know, you know, no, that's not living, that's existing. So, um, but you can get your life back with fibromyalgia. And, and the, really the only hope of that is getting healthy. And that's and that comes with functional medicine, right? Finding and fixing the underlying causes of the symptoms, because fibromyalgia is just a name, right? It's a name given to, to, to describe these symptoms, but it doesn't cause anything. So what we want to do is look for the causes, and as we start to unwind their symptoms, fit, find and fix the underlying causes, uh, we see that they get tremendously better as they get healthier and healthier, and then they can go in. It doesn't matter what you call it, remission, cure, doesn't matter. But you're right, they're always vulnerable to stress. That is their Achilles heel. For the microbiome and for the gut health, that's part of the four uh, four steps that are part of what I call the Murphy method, uh, uh, the jumpstart protocol. Uh, number one is deep restorative sleep. Number two is saturating the cells with high doses, with the right doses of vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and essential fatty acids which are the building blocks of the hormones that that they've become depleted in. Then number three is fixing adrenal fatigue, their stress coping glands. And then and number four, but certainly not last, is you've got to fix anything um, wrong in there, either their digestion or their elimination. So the GI, any kind of GI disorders have to be fixed because if not, they're, they're always going to be generating inflammatory chemicals, whether that's from leaky gut or they're always going to have issues with absorption because of SIBO or yeast overgrowth or, you know, uh, malabsorption. So uh, food allergies. Um, but, but yes, I spend, you know, a fair amount of time working with them to make sure we clean that gut up and make sure that they don't have any food allergies or any kind of um, uh, bugs that are creating inflammation or the inability to absorb their nutrients that they should be getting in their diet. So that method that you just said, um, is that in the step-by-step order? So one, two, three, four, that's the order that you follow? Well, I'll say this, you know, the number one thing is sleep. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's it. That trumps everything. So really in a lot of ways, um, and even in the early days, in the early 1990s, the people that were writing about fibromyalgia before really knew a whole lot about it, Madowski and some of these other people that were the big researchers in fibro, they said that really, you know, fibromyalgia really is a sleep disorder. Now we've kind of, I don't know where that went because we really do, you don't hear a lot of people talking about that, but if they would spend time, you know, f- uh, focusing on that, you'd see some really good results. The reason why sleep is so important is because of this, this whole thing about your, your, you know, the serotonin. And, um, and, and I like to use this analogy that we're all born with a stress coping savings account. And in that stress coping savings account, we have certain chemicals that allow us to deal with stress. You know, all day long, we're under stress, right? I mean, traffic jams, loud noises, uh, taxes, COVID. I mean, you name it, we got stress, right? And so anytime we're under stress, our body is releasing chemicals, hormones like serotonin, the calming hormone, or cortisol or DHEA that allow us to be able to deal with the stress, panathenic acid, magnesium. The more stress we're under, the more chemicals we need. But if you're not careful, you can bankrupt that stress coping savings account. And then then you're at the mercy of, you know, any stress that comes along. So 
the way that you make deposits into your stress coping savings account is deep restorative delta wave sleep. When you sleep at night, that's when your body's healing itself and it's replenishing your stress coping chemicals. So when you wake up the next day, you're ready. You know, you're ready for whatever life is, is going to throw you. But what happens with fibro, they get under all that stress, Brian, and they, they deplete these, these chemicals, including serotonin. And that sets up a vicious cycle because they can't sleep. Part of that is because of the stress. And we know that um, serotonin is the happy hormone. The higher your serotonin level, the happier you are, the less anxious you are. The higher your serotonin level, the higher your pain threshold. It blocks a, a hormone called substance P. So when your serotonin level is elevated, your pain threshold goes up. But when your serotonin level is low, your pain threshold goes low. So pain is magnified. So um, <laughs> to answer your question, the number one thing I, that has to happen, you know, is sleep. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Because if you're not sleeping, you're going to be exhausted, right? So there's the low energy. If you're not sleeping, you increase your inflammatory chemicals by 40%. So you're going to have more pain. And they develop a thing called allodynia, uh, which you're familiar with. It's a medical term. just means low pain threshold. Um if you're not sleeping, you're going to be more likely to have brain fog. You know, I mean, if you're not sleeping, you're probably going to have some mood disorders, develop restless leg syndrome. And you, you already astutely mentioned you have more serotonin receptors in your intestinal tract than you do in your brain. You know, that's why when you get nervous, you get butterflies in your stomach, right? So uh, when you deplete that serotonin, now you have trouble regulating um, your motility. So you have trouble regulating your digestion and your elimination and uh, so serotonin and sleep are got to get that right. Yeah. And then and then uh, after that, uh, probably saturating the body with the high doses of the vitamins, minerals, amino acids and essential fatty acids, because you, you've got to have these building blocks. If you don't have them, you can't make the chemicals that the body needs It just, you know, it's not there. Yeah. The reason I bring up sleep is because if you have a lot of inflammation and pain, how do you get really restful sleep yeah yeah and i think that's the quandary for these people is they they can get comfortable and they wake up throughout the night and then that sets up this vicious cycle they don't sleep well which creates more pain which creates poor sleep which creates more pain you know and so they get in this vicious cycle um and unfortunately a lot of these individuals they'll wind up on sleep medications the problem with those is that many of them don't put them into deep sleep, so they don't get their, they don't wake up refreshed. They still have a depleted stress coping savings account. You know, they're just knocked out for six or seven hours, whatever it is. And and you know, the problem with sleep meds is they increase your risk of death by five hundred percent across the board. Doesn't matter whether it's <clears throat> due to cancer or heart attack or stroke or uh, Alzheimer's. It doesn't matter. So that's how dangerous those medications are. Now. now you know, I'm not, you know, please don't stop any of your medications, you know, work with your, your healthcare practitioner. But now that I've said that, and you know that, I, I would encourage you to, to, to learn what are some natural things you can do to start to uh, reestablish good, healthy sleep patterns. And can you share one or two ideas sure. on how to reestablish yeah. that? So, yeah. So, you know, the thing about uh, low serotonin is, uh, you know, I think one in 10 women, I think, um, is on an antidepressant in the United States. And, uh, and um, you know, and no one has uh, a Lexapro deficiency. You know, no one suffers from an antidepressant deficiency. Now, 
those medications don't make serotonin. They only help you hang on to what serotonin you have. But if you've gotten run down over the years and you're either depressed or you have, you know, fibromyalgia and you have this low serotonin, if you're taking a drug that's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and there's nothing to reuptake, it's not going to do anything. It's like using a gasoline additive in an empty gasoline tank. You know, if you're running on fumes, it really ain't going to help you. Um, serotonin comes from the amino acid tryptophan, which turns into 5-hydroxytryptophan. Now, amino acids are what make up protein. So anytime you eat protein, you're going to get amino acids. And some proteins, like people familiar with turkey, have more tryptophan than others. But um, in the fibromyalgia community, we see that a lot of them cannot convert tryptophan that they get in their diet to the next step, which is 5-hydroxytryptophan. There's a, there's a block in their pathway. So I recommend that patients take 5-HTP. If you have low moods or you have uh, fibromyalgia, then I would recommend you start with 5-HTP. And typically you take, um, start with 100 milligrams of 5-HTP 30 minutes before bed with a little bit of grape juice. It doesn't take much, just about an ounce mixed with water. And the grape juice is going to cause your body to release insulin and help pull that serotonin across the blood-brain barrier. The, the purpose of the 5-HTP is that um, if you it, it increases your natural sleep hormone melatonin by 200%. So then the question is, why don't you just take melatonin? Well, you can. However, if we look at depression, you need the serotonin, not the melatonin. If you have fibromyalgia, you definitely need to get that serotonin level up because it raises your pain threshold, helps with your moods, helps lowers anxiety. A lot of times that will straighten or uh, dramatically improve IBS, helps with mental clarity. So you start with a 5-HTP, 100 milligrams, 30 minutes before bed, and each night you increase by 100 milligrams till you get to 300 milligrams. If, if you still find that you can't fall asleep or you can't stay asleep, that's when I would add sublingual melatonin starting with three milligrams and go all the way up to 12 milligrams. Yeah. Uh, sublingual, that's a lot different than taking a cap or, uh, um, a pill form, right? So you don't need as much melatonin if you take it sublingually. Well, I think usually you don't need as much, but the, the, you know, as you know, as the advantage of that sublingual is when you let it dissolve underneath your tongue, it's going to bypass and get right, you know, bypass your stomach and get right into your bloodstream and go work right away. So if you're waiting there to go to sleep, you want that to happen as quickly as possible. Perfect. Yeah, yeah we had a whole episode on sleep if people want to hear more. And I think that was episode 108. Um, he would probably be a good guy for you to talk to too, Michael Grandner. Um, he's a sleep researcher. He's got a lot of great information. Yeah, I'd love to get his contact. Because yeah, send- you know, with Fibro... Uh, the patients I work with, I, I run into some really hardcore insomniacs, you know, because that's really, I'm telling you, uh, that is that is the biggest piece of the puzzle for them. If you can get that right, I'm not saying it all comes together, but if you don't get that piece of the puzzle, it's like you, you never find the corner. You know, when you're putting a, a puzzle together, if you can just ever find the corner, you know, help, you know, God help us, please, let me find the corner. Then you can start building the thing and it comes together. But if you don't get that sleep right... You're in, you're in the middle of the puzzle and you're just, you know, you're in trouble. Yep. So people that have fibro, 
Um, what about like movement practices? Are they able to do any type of exercise, whether it's light exercise, heavy exercise, or is that too difficult for them or too stressful? It, it depends on where they are. Okay. So if they're not, if they're not working with someone who's trained in fibromyalgia, like myself, that really sp- spends time with them, um, they got to be careful because, um, you know, stress you know, if we're talking about exercise, and you're probably talking about some more movement stuff, we'll talk about that too. But, um, is, you know, stress is, um, I mean, exercise is super healthy. I think to me, exercise is the is the great uh, equalizer. You know, you can get away with your diet being a little loose here and there, right? You know, maybe not taking care of yourself like you should, as long as you're really exercising. You know, that's always worked for me anyway. Uh, but for fibro, you know, exercise you know, it's another stress and they can't handle it, at least initially, not initially. Once they start going into deep restorative sleep, they're saturating the cells with the right vitamins and minerals. They're fixing their adrenal glands and they're fixing their gut and they feel strong. Then and only then could they handle additional stress, which typically um, you got to even be careful with changing their diet. But, but, but then they can start doing some low impact exercise like walking, just something simple. But, um, as far as movement, I think one of the best things for them is things like Tai Chi, you know, if they're willing to put the time in for that, um, or yoga, which I know you, you know, you're really big into yoga, I'm a big fan of that. And um, so I think, you know, just stretching, you know, some of these things definitely can be beneficial for sure. Perfect. So let's say I have fibro, you know, I've been to 12 different practitioners. Uh, no one's been able to help me. I'm on six different medications right now. And then I come to you. Can you walk me through what are the steps that you would take me through to assess me, test me, and then get me feeling better again? Yeah. So my practice is a little bit unique. Um, in 2003, I had a medical practice where I had, had a very large integrated medical practice for five medical doctors who worked for me. And then when I sold that practice, I lectured for um, a few years around the country, and then it just evolved to where it's all virtual. So I don't do a hands-on exam like I used to. Having said that, though, Brian, by the time somebody comes to see me, they've already been to Mayo and Cleveland, and they've been all you know they've, you know, they've been to the, all these different places. So what I'm looking at is um, I'm looking at their new patient paperwork, and if I can get the the past two years of their blood work because I look at blood work differently, just like you do as a functional you know, practitioner, we look at it differently. And then, um, you know, I'm going to pepper them with a bunch of questions. I'm focusing on, you know, are you having trouble with your sleep? Or are you, you know, how long does it take you to fall asleep? Do you sleep through the night? And, and um, you know, I'm going to go through their medications and I'll explain to them why the common medications like Lyrica and Cymbalta are probably doing more harm than good. And of course, I'll also tell them not to stop any of their medications um, until they, you know, if, we're, if, if I accept their case and we're working together, once I get them doing tremendously better, and then, and only then, when I start weaning them off their prescriptions. But as I go through this dialogue with them, I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm making mental notes about where, what are the clues that they're sharing with me that need to be followed up. Um, if they're telling me that, that they, that lateral third of their eyebrows have thinned out, their hair's falling out. They got dry skin, brittle nails. I already know they have a lot of fatigue. Um, and I look at their blood work and I see the only thing that's been tested is their TSH, which is typical. I'm already thinking, well, okay, they need a full thyroid panel. 
Um, if, if they're sharing with me that they have all these, and they always do, have IBS and, and problems with their, with their digestion elimination, I'm thinking, okay, well, they got to have a food allergy test and the LISA test. So, so I'm putting together kind of these different panels of what testing they need. And then when we finish up, as I explain everything to them, then I give them options about how to proceed forward, either through testing or uh, some, some other options. But uh, it's probably similar to what you do when you do a workup with your clients. You're really just trying to look at, okay, uh, you know, they're telling me this, but no one's really explored that. I mean, that's, it's not usual to every time you eat to blow up like you're eight months pregnant you know, something's wrong. Yeah, you've been to, you know, you've been to the gastroenterologist and you've done a parasite cleanse, you've done this, you've done that, but have you ever done a breath test for SIBO? You know, you know, so, um, or you're listening to them talking about they feel better when they go away on vacation and then they come back and they're miserable. And then you ask them, how old is your house? Have you ever had any mold issues? You know, you just, it's those kind of things that you and I do that separate us from, and this is not to pick on anybody, but we have to dig a little deeper and think a little harder, I think, um, to do the detective work, I think, than, than the conventional medical practitioner a lot of times because, um, number one, we, we're not prescribing prescription medications, so we can't just give them something and uh, cover it up. And, and the other thing with the complicated patients I'm sure you work with, and I, and I do too, um, you're, if you don't do that, you're you're not gonna get you're not gonna get very far. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, you know, if you're not looking for the cause and you're just chasing the symptoms, you're just throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping you strike a a bullseye. Yeah, you know, you can be so far off target, and then maybe maybe you'll hit something every now and then, one out of a hundred patients or whatever. But mm. that's not how you get the population healthy. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And, and you know, with fibromyalgia, they, I think they learn, a lot of them learn along the way that traditional medicine has failed them. So they're always looking for something. The problem is, you know, they're, they're always going from one thing to the next. And they're, they're, it's kind of a shotgun approach. They're working with practitioners who probably really don't understand fibromyalgia. I think it's really unique. What works for a type 2 diabetes patients or works for um, someone with heavy metal, you know, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just different, you know, and, um, a, a lot of times they try to put the cart in front of the horse and, uh, people don't get better. So they get discouraged and they give up, which is a shame. So how long do you think it takes before, uh, someone should start feeling some type of results, even if it's minor? Well, um, so on my website, there's a thing called the jumpstart protocols and this is something i just give away for free and it goes in all about deep restorative sleep about the about the vitamin supplements the adrenal fixing the adrenals and then the uh, ibs if they'll do those things on their own these are things they can do on their own they'll see results within two weeks now they're not you know they're not jumping tall buildings and you know going back to work and that kind of thing but it gives them hope because they're within two weeks they're probably sleeping better Typically, IBS for my patients goes away in two weeks on the protocols I use. Uh, and so they see that, and that gives them the, the momentum to keep pushing forward and do things like the elimination diet and other things that I share with them. Um, so the results are fairly quickly. 
if someone's working with me one on one and not trying to do it themselves, then typically we're 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 going to see dramatic improvements within the first you know six weeks, and then and then it's all about teaching them. Then a lot of times, uh, Brian, it's then weaning them off medications they don't need because you have to do that slowly, and then teaching them about what they need to do to continue to get healthy. Uh, and, and then what do they have to do to stay that way? Perfect. Is there any other final things that you want to touch on with uh, fibromyalgia and what patients can do for that? Well, I would just say, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy into the doom and gloom. So the people tell you that, you know, there's, a, there's, uh, we're doing a summit right now, as you know, and, and, and we're reaching out to a lot of these support groups, which when I first started years ago, I went and spoke all of the country's different support groups. And finally, I just, I, I wouldn't do it. And and the part of that, and this is not to be belittle anybody or talk down to any, anybody that's trying to be helpful, but a lot of these groups, are, it's all about woe is me. You know, it's, uh, this is my ache, this is my pain, this is my misery for today. And if you surround yourself with those kind of people, those doom and gloom kind of people, it's pretty easy to buy into, you can never feel better. And you got to, you know, so I would say if you're, if you got fibromyalgia, please uh, don't give up and find another group of friends or another support group. But, you know, um, it, you, you, you've got to, um, you got to give up, as Zig Ziglar used to say, you got to give up that stinking thinking. And uh, you got to look for, you got to look for something um, positive and, and, um, you know, and I've, and I've shared this. So if you want to be proactive, then, you know, there's people like yourself that do incredible work that can, that can work with fibro and then myself, you know, and um, so hopefully, you know, that message will resonate with some folks. Yep. And you mentioned the fibro summit that you have coming on uh, for people that don't know what summits are is where you have a collection of different practitioners coming on to talk about uh, different ways to approach a certain subject. In this case, it's fibromyalgia. And uh, how many practitioners do you have or how many uh, presentations do you have available for this summit? So there's over two dozen leading uh, functional medicine health, health experts from all over the world, different countries that have joined me for this free online fibromyalgia summit so you can you can watch it in the safety you know the safety and the convenience of your home and um, there's over 30 different presentations so there's presentations on sleep obviously and then there's presentations on mold and SIBO and interstitial cystitis hormone replacement therapy adrenal fatigue leaky gut gluten intolerance food allergies um, Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum is one of the leading Specialists in fibromyalgia, we've sp- spoken on stages together. He, he's on there. Geneva Lipton is uh, the best-selling author of the Fibro Manual. She and I, we do a whole thing on pain, and, and uh, she does a great job. She, both of them do conventional and functional type medicine, which is great. And they're two uh, world-renowned fibromyalgia experts. And then uh, Tom O'Brien, you probably know Tom O'Brien in the Functional Medicine Circle. He does a great thing on leaky gut. And uh um, uh, Margaret Christensen, who's probably the world's foremost mold specialist, she's on there. So we just got some incredible, talented people on there who are sharing information for free. That even if you get one or two little things, nuggets a day from it, you're going to be so far ahead of anybody that's out there trying to navigate your life back. You know, you're you're just going to be you're going to be so far ahead. 
And that starts on uh, September. It runs September 28th through October 4th. And again, now it's free. It's free online. You can watch any of those uh, whenever you want to during that week. You can tune into those and watch them. And then the following weekend, it'll be another replay for the weekend. It'll be a free weekend. Um, and that's the, fi- the fibrosummit.com is the thing. And I know you'll have that in your notes, the podcast notes, right? For, so yep. they can find it there, I'm sure. Yep, uh, we have a link for it, summitforwellness.com slash fibrosummit. And uh, links to you as well um, is at summitforwellness.com slash 128. So people can go to your fibro doctor and learn more about what you have available over there and what the uh, virtual uh, practice that you have going on. Well, uh, Roger, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, there's, Like you said, there's a lot of people that's suffering from this and they don't really know where to turn to to get support. So hopefully they can start finding this information and get the support that they need. Brian, thank you so much for having me on here. I really appreciate your work. It's desperately needed. People are looking for answers. They're falling through the, the medical cracks and you know they need people like you. They need you know, your podcast, I think, is amazing. You're doing a great job, and I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share uh, about a topic that I'm so passionate about. Starting Monday, September 28th, the Fibro Summit will begin. So make sure to go to summitforwellness.com slash fibrosummit to register for free. There are a lot of great guests that will pre- be presenting over the next week. Also, if you are interested in the Squat Challenge for October, Head over to summitforwellness.com slash squat challenge to register. Remember, it is donation based, so you get to choose how much you want to donate to join the challenge. Next week, Dr. Allison Danby is on the show. Let's go learn about her. I am here with Dr. Allison Danby. Hey, Allison, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Uh, before I became a naturopathic doctor, I was actually a high school math teacher. Um, so a very exciting subject. Well, at least you're still doing math with uh, medicine. Yes, that's right. And <laughs> education, lots of education. I love that part. The part. And what will we be learning about in our interview together? So I think we're going to be diving into autoimmune kind of 101. So we're going to look at what are some of the triggers. We're going to talk about why you have an autoimmune condition, uh, testing, And we'll talk about how you can actually gain control over this condition, very frustrating condition. And what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? So no one has ever died of overdose of vegetables. Um, So I definitely love vegetables. Broccoli and sweet potatoes are two of my favorite um, that I think are so important to include in our everyday eating or at least kind of at least weekly eating. Um, and the other one I think is really important is getting a clean protein. So making sure that you really are mindful of where your protein is coming from, um, you know, free range, antibiotic free, if you can get that. Uh, I think that makes a big impact. And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? So I do have a killer bedtime routine. So sleep to me is one of the first things that we need to do. And it's also the first thing that we give up uh, when things get busy or hard. I love walking with gratitude. And so, it you know, getting out to nature 10 to 15 minutes a day or even a few times a week and using that time just to think about all the things that you're grateful for can be so powerful. 
And the other thing I think that's really important is trying to get a green vegetable with every meal. Breakfast can be challenging, but there's lots of ways you can do that. We'll be covering a lot of autoimmunity information next week. So until then, keep climbing to the peak of your health.